We're going to talk today about um, the new era and overcoming opposition and strife to building. Anytime that you move into a building situation, and I'm not talking about building a facility. I'm talking about building the kingdom. I'm talking about building a house of the Lord within the land. Anytime that you do that, there's always opposition that comes from the enemy, sometimes in the form of strife. The, the biggest thing that God wants us to do is for us to avoid the opposition becoming, getting on the inside of us. Because opposition and strife on the inside of us will kill the building program. You've heard me talk many times about the miracles that we saw in Cherokee Sound, Bahama. One of the guys over there is one of my sons in the Lord, and he comes here about once a year and comes to the sons and daughters meeting. But the thing that killed this move of God after two and a half years was strife. It just shut it down dead. It was going like wildfire. Hundreds of people being saved. But then strife began to sit in because people were volleying for position in what the Lord was doing. Instead of humbling themselves, they, wrote, they let themselves rise up to try to take over what the Lord was doing. And any time that we do that, the Lord's not going to allow that to go on and allow that move to go on. And I mentioned uh, probably around January that I felt like that the Space Coast was in danger of not recognizing the time of the Lord's visitation on this coast. I'll never forget preaching that message. You can probably still get the CD. And that we're very close to missing what he wants to do on the space coast, what he wants to do in our life. And listen to this. You, I want you to add a word here in this first paragraph. A church should be filled with life and not strife. It's important that the body of Christ flee strife and opposition. Strife and opposition can come from within or without. What's important is to detect strife and opposition that is within us and drive it out. It's important that we humble ourselves to the point that we begin seeing that maybe there's something on the inside of us that God needs to deal with. And I, I shared this a few weeks ago. I'll share it again today. Several years ago, probably around 2008, I had been walking with Dutch for about eight years at that point, and the enemy really began to attack me and cause an offense to rise up on the inside of me. And at that point in my life, I was ready to disconnect myself to Dutch sheets. And uh, I was going to walk away from our alignment, our connection. And I went on for two weeks with the huffs and two weeks with strife in my heart. And finally, I said to myself, I'll never forget this. I remember exactly where I said it. I said to myself, why am I thinking this way? Give me one good reason, Ken Malone, why you are thinking the way that you're thinking. I couldn't come up with one other than the fact that I was having my own personal pity party. I sure wouldn't even attend. And it dawned on me that I needed to break this off of my life because it wasn't from the Lord. It was from the enemy, and I had allowed an offense to set on the inside of me to keep me from moving forward. And so I broke that off of myself, and the following month, I went out to Colorado Springs, and I was preaching in Dutch's church. Right after I broke that off, he invited me to come and speak at his church on a Sunday morning. I'd never been there on a Sunday morning. And so I get out there and I shared with all the people what the Lord was doing inside of me and how the enemy had tried to disconnect me from my relationship with him. And little did I know that he was about to lose 200 people. He was running 700 at the time. They had what's called a Gideon revival. And the next week, over the next couple of weeks, he lost 200 people. All because of him wanting to shift the church into an Acts 13 model. And instead of those 200 embracing and saying, yes, we want to be like the New Testament, they said, no, we want a celebrity pastor. 
Because what he was doing, he was sitting down and he was allowing other people who were some as capable as he was to get up in the pulpit and minister even when he was there. So he was shifting it to Acts 13 model where you had prophets and apostles and teachers and all these things there at Antioch. And they said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul, the Holy Spirit did, for the work that I've called them to. And he started taking that to heart and began doing that. He saw the team concept begin to take place in the book of Acts there in Antioch. And the neat thing that I've always liked about Acts 13 is that one of those people there gave that word, but you don't know who it was. Because it wasn't important who prophesied that word. That word was prophesied by somebody. But the Holy Spirit wanted to show us that it wasn't important who gave that word. He was actually emphasizing team ministry there. He had a team of people who were working together. They were fasting. The Bible says they were ministering to the Lord. And then they said, now create, the Lord said, now create another team and send Barnabas and Saul out for the work that I want them to do. It's a good word there. All right. Look at this. This is James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is a wise man and a due with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. That last sentence there, verse 17, is where the Lord wants us. He wants us to have the wisdom that is from above. I want to show you a little picture of strife. I want to show you couples on a Sunday morning trying to get to church. Without a doubt, married couples have probably the greatest opportunity to have an argument and get offended with each other on a Sunday morning, especially if they're in leadership, before they get to church. And the whole purpose of the enemy igniting that that argument is for the, that those spouses to get into disagreement. Because when that disagreement comes into the congregation, comes into the house that Sunday morning, it begins filling the atmosphere. Ed Cole used to teach back in the 80s. I used to listen to him quite a bit. And he, he has a book called Maximize Manhood. All of you guys should read this. Maximize Manhood by Ed Cole. And he says in this book, he, he talks about couples, and he says, agreement is the power of life. Taken out of Matthew 18, 19. And he said, disagreement is the power of death. And he talks about how that husbands and wives should be agreeable. And, and from listening to that, I said it was back in the 80s. It was the 70s and 80s that I was reading that book. And Cheryl and I began adopting that in our lifestyle of walking in agreement, which means this is that she nor I, either one, do any major thing without the agreement of one another. Give you an example of this. Several years ago, the Navajo Nation had been asking me to come out to Gallup, New Mexico, and to minister to the Navajo leaders. And for five years, I turned them down. I just didn't feel like I was supposed to go. Uh, she and I have to be on agreement. In places like that that I go to and so uh, I didn't think anything about it. I just turned them down every year but then about 2013 I was driving up the center of the state on highway 27 and the Lord spoke to me and says you're going to the Navajo Nation I was shocked that he even said that to me because I didn't want to go you know up to that point I didn't say anything to anyone, but two days later, I get a call from one of the Navajo apostles, Pete Ballone. And he says, Brother Ken, we'd like for you to come out to Gallup and minister to the Native Americans. I said, Pete, I said, let me pray about it. 
I know I had just heard from the Lord, but I wasn't going to say yes because I hadn't talked to her. And so I went home and told her, I said, I got an invitation. I heard the Lord say this, and she said, no. You don't need to go out there. Well, she knew that I had been turning it down for five years. But I knew I'd heard from the Lord. Confirmation was two days later. And so I went into prayer for 30 days. I didn't say a word about it for 30 days to her. And so after, but I did to the Lord. And after 30 days, I come back with this same word to her. And she said, yeah, I think you should go. And a lot of times as couples, we... We fail to get into agreement with each other and stay in agreement with each other. And what that does, it causes death in your marriage rather than life in your marriage. It's like, Cheryl, we just got her a a newer vehicle. It's not brand new. But we went out and we're looking for uh, used vehicles. We never buy one new. We always get one two or three years old because this just then broke in. And plus you don't have, that's $20,000 taken right off of that car. And so we were looking around, and I wanted this Cadillac up in Merritt Island. I've always wanted a Cadillac. And uh, Cheryl, she's, with, you know, she's there too, and we drive this thing, and, and man, it drives so good. And I was ready to get it that day. And she says, can't we just look some more? And, and she was very emphatic on us looking some more. And I said, well, yeah, we can look some more. And, of course, the car dealers didn't like that because they knew I was ready to buy, but she wasn't ready to buy. But I knew that she and I have made covenant, and because of that covenant, I'm not going to step in and do something without her being in agreement with me. And so Danielle helped us out. We asked Danielle, she, because she used to work for, she was a parts manager at what, Honda dealer in Brunswick? In Brunswick, and I said to her, I said, what car is in the shop most often? She said, GM, Cadillacs, Chevrolets, GMC. They're in the shop most often. I said, what's not in the shop most often? She said, Hondas, Toyotas. And so we went and bought an upgraded Toyota that was kind of like our Avalon. But I'm so glad that we waited. I'm so glad that Cheryl didn't give in to me. I'm so glad that I knew that we needed the power of agreement. And we need the power of agreement not only as couples, but we need the power of agreement in the body of Christ as well. Because that power of agreement, when you and I and one another, when we come into agreement on what God wants to do on the Space Coast, it's going to blow the roof off the entire region. Amen. Good word. Many today, times today you see families that are in disagreement. You see, church, you see families that are broken homes because of that disagreement. And you see churches in the, with the struggle for power going on. I know I have a friend of mine up in North Mississippi, Northeast Mississippi, who has a church there. When he first went in there, he saw that the church didn't have a PayPal account. And so he went in and he created them a PayPal account directed right to the church's bank account. But he didn't talk to the elders about it. He just went and did it. And it was an elder-run church. Pastor has no say in that church. I don't even know why he's still there. And... um, All of a sudden, they jumped on him and put him under a three-month investigation by the sheriff's department. Struggle for power. He thought he was doing something right, and I thought he was too. But there was a struggle for power there going on. As a matter of fact, I can't even come back there anymore because when I go in there, they want you to be this nice pastoral type, and they won't even allow me to come. I've been one time, but they won't let me come back. And I don't really want to go back. Satan uses opposition and strife to delay, deter, discourage, and defeat God's kingdom destiny from being fulfilled. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. One of the things the spirit of Antichrist tries to do is to wear down the saints so that he can change the times. Let's read this in Daniel chapter 7, 25 through 27. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. 
and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for times, times, and half a time. But the court will set for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. But God also changes time. It says in Daniel 2, verses 20 through 21, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs, which means eras or seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. But I want to go back to chapter 7. Because one of the things that the enemy tries to do is to wear you down. Wearing you out is one of the most important jobs that the enemy has. It's to try to get you to a place where you're discouraged, where you're worn out spiritually, worn out physically, worn out mentally. Because when he gets you to that place, he can begin changing times alterating the times and the law this is what is happening in america right now the enemy is trying to wear you down with the political rhetoric that's going on within our nation and he's trying to wear you down to the point where you just say i'm going to quit i'm going to give up and right now in our nation is not a time for you and i to sit back and to give up because the Lord is making changes in this nation in a huge, huge way that we need to stand and we need to press into. I will not, neither should you, come into agreement with the ideology of liberals and progressive movement in, in the earth today. We should not come in alignment or agreement with that. Because that, that, that spirit right now is trying to wear us down to the point where we give up. We don't pray. We don't vote. We let America, so to speak, go to hell in a handbasket. And I've heard that message many times through the years that things are going to get worse and worse and worse in America and the Lord's going to come and get us out of here. And that is not biblical because from Genesis to Revelation, any time that darkness arose in the land, there was a remnant, not a majority. There was a remnant that rose up and they defeated the darkness. And God is calling for his church to rise up now and begin to defeat the darkness. And so the enemy will try to wear you out because, and on the space coast here, and in this house here, what he's trying to do, what the enemy is trying to do is to wear us out to the point where we just give up. We don't keep pressing in to destiny and future. We just give up. And so the enemy will bring persecution. He'll bring strife. He'll bring opposition to you to try to wear you down to keep you from moving forward. Because I'm going to tell you, the Lord has a destiny for the Space Coast. He has a destiny for this house. And it, it's up to you and I as to whether or not he does it in our generation or it's put off unto another generation. You see, the original children of Israel could not go into Canaan land. He had to raise up a new generation that did not have Egyptian sand in their thinking. And when they got, he raised up a generation that didn't think the way the original generation that came out of Egypt thought. Then he was able to go into the land and conquer the land. And that's what he was calling you and I to do. What he wants to do here can be put off to another generation if you and I don't step up and say, let's possess this land. Let's set our feelings aside. Let's set our agendas aside. And as believers, let's begin possessing the land that God has placed us in. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a good word there. And we're going to look at the root of opposition and strife. I'm going to share with you out of Nehemiah today, not the whole, whole book, but parts of the book. One of the roots of opposition is sin. It can be within our own life. It can be within a nation. <clears throat> it can be within a congregation. <clears throat> Sometimes sin even goes through generations and passes through generations, and that's when you have to sever that cord with your generation so that you can begin moving on. You can be healed. You can, you can come into the fullness that God has for you. You've heard me tell many times how that in Cheryl's family uh, is a frontal temporal dementia. 
runs in her family. Her dad died of it. She has two sisters died with it. She has a brother who died with it. All of her aunts and uncles on her dad's side, with the exception of one, all died in an early age with this dementia. When Cheryl and I got saved, we began dealing with the generational thing that was in her family. We got filled with the Holy Ghost and got filled with the Word. We began to deal with that generational thing, and we would say things. I would say things to her, and she would say things like, you're no longer a part of that family, of that generational sin that has brought on this dementia. Now you're in the family of God. You have the DNA of Christ on the inside of you, flowing through you. It's a part of who you are. And so, to make a long story short, they did some testing on Cheryl. And they found out after the testing that she does not have that gene that will cause her to have dementia. She went through all the tests because she wanted to know. She wanted to help the doctors as doctors in Rochester, Minnesota, St. Louis, and San Francisco that's been studying her family for over 30 years. Just her family. Because this is it's a special type of thing that has run in her family. But we decided that we would deal with the sin, that we would deal with the opposition that was within her family to keep her from living in the fullness that God has called her to. And so Nehemiah dealt with it in his time because Israel had sin. Israel's sin had brought them into bondage. It was also an opposing tool of the enemy to keep them and keep us out of the promises of God. However, Nehemiah, when he hears word of the the state that Jerusalem is in, he immediately gets a burden for the city and for the, the region. And he overcomes this sin problem through repentance. And Nehemiah too. Nehemiah repents. He repents for his sins. And he repents for the sins of his father. Let me say that again. He repents for his sins and he repents for the sins of his father's. All those in his, all those in, in the leaders of, of Israel, all the leaders of Judah, he was repenting for all of them. He was repenting for his sin. And then the rebuilding process begins. And in this chapter 17, or, or, or chapter 2, verse 17, he says to them, he says, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. God is trying to build something on the space coast here that I'm going to call a good work. He wants us to begin arising and building. Say, arise and build. This is important. Every one of you have a place in building and constructing this wall. But you will have to rise yourself. I can't do it for you. And begin saying, I want to put my tools, my giftings, into building the wall around the Space Coast. Next week, we'll look at building the temple. Today, we're going to look at building the walls and the gates because walls and gates are very important. Gates represent authority. Walls represent protection. And every one of us here have a place to begin rebuilding that wall. We have to begin stepping up. And listen, some of you that have retired, get out of your retirement. Refire. Get out of the retirement mindset is what I'm saying. Get out of retirement, begin refiring because God has purpose for your life in Jesus' name. Praise God. When they begin this, intimidation begins taking place. It says Nehemiah 2:19, but when Sambalit the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Look at the four things that happened here in the book of Nehemiah to oppose them and to try to bring strife. One was mocking. See the mocking spirit all the time in the body of Christ. You can't go on Facebook now without hearing some preacher mock some other preacher. 
It's, it's terrible what you see. It's that same spirit that was working right there. See, these spirits have been here forever. Everybody thinks when they run across one of these spirits, it's a new thing. It's not a new thing. Pythos has been here forever. Leviathan has been in the earth forever. There's nothing new about any of this. They came up against it there, but they overcame it. And so intimidation, mocking, despising, accusation, and lies begin setting in. Let's look at the mocking spirit. This demon operates through people who do not want to see you prosper, be successful, and win. Sambalat and Tobias and Geshem did not want uh, Nehemiah or the people of Israel, the people of Judah, to prosper, to be successful, and to win. The enemy doesn't want you moving in that vein. He wants you to be poor-mouthing. He wants you and I to have a defeatist attitude, to live a defeatist lifestyle, just the opposite of what God says. This demon wants strife and contention, and I would encourage you not to entertain or embrace this spirit because it is deadly. Don't embrace this mocking spirit. When I was in the hospital in 2011 and Cheryl was fighting for me, Job's friends came to visit us. I'm serious. And they took Cheryl to lunch. And they started talking to her about how I wasn't going to make it. And she says, well, I'm trusting God. And one of them said, well, how's that working for you? I'll never forget it. A mocking spirit. And she told all of them, she says, you're not to go into his intensive care room and talk to him like you're talking to me right now. And uh, she put a stop to it. I'd, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for her. I know that. She'd never used a cell phone in her life. She had one of those flip phones, and, you know, those things were just wacky anyway. And, I mean, a cell phone, she had a cell phone, but she never used the iPhone. And next thing I know, she's learned how to use my iPhone. She posted on Facebook. She texts Cindy Jacobs. She texts Chuck Pierce. She texts Judge Sheets. And the next thing I know, over 5,000 people are praying for me across this nation. And all of a sudden, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it around for good. 1 Corinthians 3, I give you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Now you may say, well, I'm not jealous, Brother Ken. Well, what about the strife? There's two things there that he mentioned, strife and jealousy. Those, both of those things we need to deal with. Both of those things indicate a need for maturity within our life. When this mocking spirit came to Nehemiah, he had an answer for it. In Nehemiah 2.20, he says, So I answered them, and I said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. That's how he answered the mocking spirit. And that's how we have to answer the mocking spirit as well. Several years ago, when Justice Alito and Roberts were being, going through the Senate hearings, I didn't go to this one, but I went to those two and was inside the, the hearing room there. And at break one day, I went to a little sandwich shop down by Union Station. And when I left Union Station, I came out and there was... Uh, a news conference going on in the field out in front of Union, Union Station. And I said, you know, I've never been to a news conference. I think I'll go. And so I went to this news conference, and there was a certain then senator who's no longer senator, tried to run for president, but didn't make that well either, was standing there and was mocking the current administration at that time. And so there were two cameras set up. There was a CNN camera and a Fox camera. And I noticed all the people were over on the side here. There was none out front facing her. And I'm just a country boy from Alabama. I don't know proper protocol and something like that. And I asked the Lord, I said, what do you want me to do? 
He said, go and stand between those two cameras. And so I went and I stood between those two cameras, and I'm about from here to Cheryl from, from this person. <clears throat> I didn't name names. And uh, as I'm standing there, listening to this mocking going on, all of a sudden, this spirit in this person saw me. And their face turned beet red. And their eyes began darting back and forth in their head like this. Just like this. And that person stormed off the platform. Infuriated. Didn't even get to finish her speech. I didn't have to say a word. The spirit of God within me was addressing that mocking spirit as I stood like this. And just looked. But the mocking spirit always has to be addressed. But it's addressed by the inheritance. It's in, it was addressed here by Nehemiah saying to them, you have no inheritance in this land. When I pray against the progressive movement in America, and believe me, I do pray against it. Sometimes you need to know how to pray against things instead of for things. And I pray against the progressive movement in this nation. And when I do, I address it as a mocking spirit. Because that's what it's trying to do. Next one is accusation. This is another deadly work of the enemy. Especially if you listen to it. I want you to show you, show you where accusations come from. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. See, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. I told you about that thing that I went on with with Dutch, that strife that came inside of me. That was the accuser of the brethren working on the inside of me. Now, this is how honest you've got to get. Is that whenever this thing starts working in you, you have to realize this is not who I am. This is the enemy. And begin rising up and dealing with that in your own personal life. That's good. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the success of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Then it goes on to tell how they overcame. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced death. Now I love this because he's saying even though the enemy has been cast down out of heaven into the earth. And this happened way before Adam was on the scene by the way. He was cast down into the earth. He gives us a way to overcome this accuser. That we overcome the accuser through what? First thing. The blood of the Lamb. His blood cleanses me from unrighteousness. His blood can cleanse my thought life. His blood can cleanse my emotions. His blood can cleanse everything on the inside of me. I overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. But there's another thing I overcome him by. I overcome him by what comes out of my mouth. What I say with my tongue is another way that I overcome him. With my tongue, I either overcome him or come into agreement with him. One of those two things. And we have to decide, am I going to overcome? Then I use my tongue to change my conversation. And I overcome because the blood's applied to me. But now I overcome with my conversation. It's a good word. I overcome by the way I talk, the way I speak. The way I share things, that's how I overcome. Say, I'm an overcomer by the blood and by the way that I talk. And then he says they did not love their lives even to the point of death, even when faced with death. And I, I like how the G, King James says that they love not their lives unto death. And I want to just touch on that just for a moment. Because for you and I to walk with God where he wants to take us, it's going to require you to die to who you are. What Paul talked about in Galatians 2.20. He says, therefore I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. 
and to walk in this life and to be free from accusations and free from strife, free from the accuser speaking through you, free from strife operating in you. Not only do you overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of your testimony, but you also have to be crucified with Christ. Some of you have heard me tell the story. Those of you who haven't get to hear it. Those of you who have get to hear it again. Rick Curry and I, by the way, who's been in Kentucky for 16 weeks holding revival every night of the week. Powerful move of God going on up there right now. And uh, <clears throat> he and I met in Jacksonville, Florida, because we had a word from the Lord about Interstate 10. At that time, he was pastoring in Pensacola. And so he and I met in Jacksonville, and we met one night, and we began praying. And I rented a, a double, uh, I rented a room that had, in country in a suites that had a, Two rooms in it, had a, had a living room and had a bedroom in it. And I took pictures down off the wall and spread a map of the United States up there. And we circled out our, our blind I-10 all the way from Jacksonville all the way to San Francisco. And we began praying. And we was in prayer for probably 30, 45 minutes. And Rick said something that ignited me. He said, Lord, send revelation into room 216. Send revelation to room 16. Show us how to do that in room 216. And when he said that, the Lord spoke to me. He said, America is now entering into an Acts 216 moment. And so we begin praying into Acts 216. Acts 216 says, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And so we begin praying what was prophesied by Joel. And then he and I got in the car, and we began driving back and forth on Interstate 10. We would leave Jacksonville, go all the way down to the Lake City exit, praying all the way, turn around, come back. On one of our trips back, the car got so filled with the presence of God, it was dangerous to drive. And so I pulled over to the side of the road and got in the emergency lane, and he and I are walking up down I-10, and our arms are freighting like this, and the Spirit of God is all over us. There's no telling what people thought about us. We must have prayed to about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Then we came back and went to bed that night and got up the next morning and had breakfast together at Denny's. We had not had any more revelation. And so we started packing up, getting ready to go. He calls me on the phone. He said, have you left yet? And I said, no. He says, meet me down in the country in a sweets kitchen. I said, okay. So we went down there. He said, I called Jennifer to check on her this morning. And the first thing that she said to me, which one of you were staying in room 216 last night? He said, Ken was staying in room 216. Why would you ask? She said, the Lord just spoke to me and told me to ask you that. And then she said to him, which one of you were staying in room 220? He said, I was staying in 220. How did you know that? She said, well, the Lord told me to ask you. We knew that we were on the right trail, that that which was spoken by the prophet Joel is coming to pass in this nation. But those who carry it will have to live a Galatians 2.20 lifestyle of being crucified with Christ. And man, am I preaching to myself right now. Being crucified with Christ. In other words, I want everybody to hear me loud and clear. It's not about you. It's about him. And the quick, quicker that you and I get our eyes off of ourselves and our little problems and our little petty things going on, the better off we're going to be, the more prosperous we're going to be in our spirit, soul, and body. Woo! Some of you ought to be shouting at some of this. Look with me in Nehemiah now, chapter 4. I want to read this to you. Verses 1 through 3. It came about that when Sambalit heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. Let me tell you something. The enemy has heard what you and I are doing around here. He's heard it. And so his mocking tongue begins to go forth. He's very angry. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? 
Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Mocking again. When I first started working in government, especially up in Tallahassee, and I'll be up there next month, in D.C. this month, Tallahassee next month. Some well-meaning believers came to me and said, Ken, this is our capital. You stay down there in Central Florida. We don't need you up here. I couldn't believe any, somebody would say that, another believer. And I, I said to them, I said, I understand what you're saying, that you've been ministering there a long time. I said, but this is also my capital. Even though I don't live in Tallahassee, and some of the believers in Tallahassee who minister there, they have an ownership of that that sometimes borders on territorial religious spirits. And then another group of people, and I won't even tell you where they're out of because every one of you here would know. They said to me, Go back down to Central Florida. We've been doing this for 20 years. We don't need you up here. And I said, I'm sorry, guys. I'm coming. They ticked me off a little bit, too. And so I said, we're about to cast a net on the right side of the boat. And verses 4 through 6, Nehemiah answers them. And he says, hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they, are demoralized, they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to what? Thank you. They had a mind to get the business on what the Lord wanted to do. You and I need to get a mind to get into business with what God wants to do on the Space Coast. Then there was distraction. Distraction is the act of distracting, drawing apart, separation, confusion from a multiplicity of objects crowding on the mind and calling the attention different ways. Perturbation of mind, perplexity, as a family was in a state of distraction. And Noah Webster gives a verse of scripture to relate and to help define that. But if you look in chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it says, Now when, uh, it came about when Sambalit, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the repairs of the wall went on and the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. Just let me pause and talk about this for a moment. On this space coast, you need to hear this very clearly. The enemy is trying to distract us, get us off of our post, off of our wall, by him talking, by him roaring like a, a, a toothless lion. And, and he's trying to distract us to keep us from what God wants to do in this region and territory. And unless we shake it off, he's going he's gonna to have done a good job. It's up to you and I to shake this off. Shake this strife off of us. Shake this opposition off of us. Any time that you begin moving forward as a corporate body or as an individual, the enemy is going to come out to answer you because you're moving forward. Happened with David. And he won't just come back, come one time when you kick him out. He's going to come again because he's the devil. That's what he does. He's going to come again. The Bible says that he left Jesus for a season, but then he would come back and try to torment him again. There was this conspiracy to take down Nehemiah and his friends. But Nehemiah answers this way. Verse 9. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Listen to this. You and I need to set a guard over our hearts. That day and night we're watching over our own heart to keep the intimidation and the strife out. And to keep us from walking in strife ourselves. Say this with me. I'm setting a guard over my heart 
over my mouth so that I can fulfill the destiny he has for me. Now, if you want to take it to another level, you find a good friend or maybe not so good friend that will call you into accountability next time your tongue gets out of alignment. Wow. Bring you into accountability to say, hey, I thought you said you were going to put a guard over your tongue. Have you just listened to how you were talking? That's not overcoming by the word of the testimony. Let's go on. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers was failing. Yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them to kill them and to put a stop to the work. And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men on the lower parts of the space between the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in the families with their swords, spears, and bows. And when I saw their fear, I arose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. And it came about from that day on that half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held spears, the shields and the bows and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand and doing the work with the other holding a weapon." So they had a weapon in one hand and a hammer in another hand. They were ready to fight and they were ready to build. Whatever the Lord was calling them to do, they were ready to do it. Say, it's time to get ready. Hallelujah. Verse 18. As for the builders, each wore a sword and girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. And at that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to the water. This is an awesome, awesome story of how God wants you and I to overcome opposition overcome strife in our own life but also among us because see the enemy that pytho spirit that serpent of old that revelation 12 talked about he has no inheritance here he has no inheritance in florida i'm not alarmed by him being in here and being activated in this region I'm not alarmed by it at all as a matter of fact i'd be alarmed if he wasn't hello i had a lady several years ago we were doing i think our I think it was the 50-state tour conference over in Winter Haven with Dutch and Chuck. And a lady comes up to me and she said, there's witches here. I said, really? She said, yeah, there's witches here. I said, what you want me to do about it? You need to go kick them out. So I did just the opposite. I got up in the pulpit and I said, one of my intercessor friends told me that there are witches here. And I don't know if there are witches here or not, but... If you're here and you're a witch, I want to welcome you to a powerful moving of the Spirit of God in this house. So what if there were witches there? 
T.L. Osborne used to operate all the time in India and Africa with witches right in front of him, uh, taking little dolls and made like him and, and trying to put curses and hexes on him. And you know what he said? I learned a great lesson from T.L. Osborne. He said, all these witch doctors were around just uh, trying to put curses on me and spells on me. And he said, I never, I never gave them the time of day. I kept preaching. He even talked about one time, some of you may remember this, that they killed a man. The witch doctors killed a man, stabbed him several times, and threw him on the platform in front of T.L. Osborne. And T.L. Osborne just kept on preaching. He just kept on preaching. And after about an hour of preaching, this man that they had killed began to shake under the power of God and rose from the dead. You see, the enemy tries to distract you don't let him do it keep your focus on the vision not on him I'll say this again keep your focus on why god has put you on the space coast not on him paul said it this way he said i press toward the prize for the high calling of god that is in christ jesus that's what he was going for he was saying, all this other stuff is dung to me. I go after him and the calling that he's placed upon me. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. All of our other pastors are in Kansas City, Missouri this weekend. Going to a little retreat. But if you need prayer... Uh, Cheryl and I, Bain and Hal will be down here to pray for you. Other than that, I'm not going to call anybody down to lay hands on them. So, Father, today, in the name of Jesus, we decree that your kingdom has come and your will is being done upon this space coast. We will not fear what man can do to me, what he'll say to me, how he may harm me, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Father, I thank you that I have a greater one. I have a greater one than anything else living inside of me. You have a greater one living inside of you. And Lord, I bind every serpent and every scorpion from tormenting and attacking your people in their mind. And God, I decree that your favor is upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to register for the conference, come down here and see Cheryl. If you need prayer, come down here. We're going to have some people down here to pray for you. Bless you. Thank you for being here.